welcome to the Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from Khan Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. Bo, we went on some adventures, uh, but we're back, and it is 2019. What do you think about ah, that? The calendar pages have turned already. Oh, speaking of calendars, no, just kidding. We'll get into that later. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> if you were going to take that bait. Yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting. Time's flying. Um, I mean, it's almost February by now. Oh, please don't say that. It some, is. Some of us are trying to accomplish things this year. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think a lot of people are trying to accomplish things, but, uh, you know, everything will get done in its own time. Well, what do you kind of want? We talked last time about, you know, the things we saw in 2018 and some personal thoughts about, you know, 2019, but... What would you sort of like to see happen community-wise in 2019? I think what I'd like to see... I, I think what, what what's kind of happening right now is, is what I want to continue to see. It seems like, um, and it might just be a strange little lull, but it seems like right now people are like buckled down. You know, they're not just trying to blow through things to get things out. They're really like buckling down and like focusing on putting out really like well put together quality homebrews which is pretty exciting licensed quality oh i would definitely say licensed quality <laughs> it's great it's like almost every game that's coming out now it seems like is of that quality so it's i mean we've we talked about you know we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now and we always talked about you know the games are getting better games are getting better and i think right now we're like it's easy probably to say that we're at the potential golden age of NES homebrew, but like everything that's coming out now just seems so good to me. Which is funny because, you know, I, I've heard the old timers say the golden age was many years ago already, you know, 2013 to 2015 and it's over now and, you know, homebrew's dead. So, well, the bubble has burst. <laughs> the bubble's burst, all that good <laughs> stuff. But I mean, honestly, we're seeing the, the best games that we've seen so far. And some of these projects, you know, have been in development since 2013. A lot of them are, you know, being announced they're quickly coming out or you have developers who made simpler games they're now making you know much larger games and we're also seeing new people join in in different ways yeah and they're joining in and immediately being up to like snuff there's no it doesn't seem like there's even like any sort of taking time to like have to grow to get to a certain point to start I don't want to say competing because it's not a competition but like people are just <laughs> showing up and like making really good shit man it's awesome I don't know, that kind of worries me, though, because I've always liked the guy or gal who shows up, does the best they can, makes something simple, but it's solid. Uh, I really appreciate those efforts, but... Uh, I mean, you'll take license quality, too, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take, <laughs> you know, I'll take whatever. But it does seem like the barriers to entry have come down as well, and it's... It's not any easier today to make a game, but people are just kind of jumping in and building the best they can and it's been I, I don't know maybe it's because there there's so many examples now of other people who have done it or well that's the growing exactly pains. that's what i was gonna say it seems like with each sort of licensed quality project that's coming out i think the audience that's getting exposed to it is getting slightly larger every time so with the exposure that you know some of these projects are starting to get i think that some of the people that didn't know that this was going on they see that it's happening and there are so many different ways to get involved now with, you know, music or graphics. Like everyone seemingly needs someone 
to to just give them that little bit of help that they need in, in whatever you know facet they need. Um, but it just seems like, uh, in my opinion, that's that's sort of what's making it so much easier for people to jump on board. Well, the support system's also there too. I mean, Nestev's been around since you know late. 90s early 2000s in one form or another and then you know people were answering technical questions and all that but now you've got a group of us who basically didn't know how to program and sort of taught ourselves and learned from other people and we're we're very willing to help like the community's there to help people almost right away and so you don't have to sit there and stumble around for years on end not knowing what you're doing (laughs) yeah and i gotta tell you I got to tell you, man, like with this game I'm working on right now, you know, in the past when I'm working on a game, it always seemed like I would try to write a routine and it would take me, you know, a few passes to get it working the way that I imagined it. But with this game, it's almost like I finally like feel like I'm fully grasping assembly language and I'm just like sitting down and I'm writing a routine. Let me just try to see if this works and then I'll tweak it to figure out where I went wrong. But like nine times out of 10, it's just working right from the start. And it's a little scary because I don't know, like I'm, I'm fi- I finally realized that like I'm a true programmer for this system, which is exciting to me. <laughs> You've arrived as they yeah, say. It only took me, you know, 13 games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good feeling, but it is very scary because you're just waiting for that next thing that you're going to spend, you know, six months on and not be able to figure out. Yeah, I, I know I, they're there. Knock somewhere. on wood, knock on wood. That's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Ride that feeling as long as it lasts. So what do you think, Bo? Like, what do you hope to see in 2019? Uh, you know, I we've seen a lot of games over the years. I actually don't even have a count of, you know, the number of projects we've seen. But there are certain genres that really haven't been... Uh, explored or fleshed out uh, in the homebrew community. I would really, I know this is going to be real surprising. I would like to see more RPGs. Oh, I'm sure every listener out there is like sitting their mouth agape right now because I didn't see that one coming. I know JRPGs too. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> you know, that's what I want. I want stories. I want adventures. I want something that doesn't require me to have pixel perfect moves and jumps and I can just enjoy and play in my, you know, old age here. Why do you think, why do you think that genre hasn't really been tackled? Do you think it's like the, the, the amount of like depth that has to go into making a game that large? As one who is currently building an RPG in one form or another, uh, it's content, man. Like content is just ridiculous. The engine itself is not that complicated, but mm-hmm. once you start doing graphics and sound, and you you know the examples in the genre are so advanced, nobody wants to go back and do Final Fantasy One or Dragon Warrior One, except Brian. Uh, <laughs> everybody else, you know, we're, we played Super Nintendo, we played PS One, we. There's so much, and that's where I stopped, obviously, <laughs> not to kind of cap myself there, but, um, you know, like we want to tell a good story, I think we being me, and you, you don't want to see the same graphics every other screen. You, you want variety, you want different locales. And then once you have all that, you still have to tell a great story. You still have to do all the stats and make it engaging throughout 10, 20, 30 hours. Like, man. The content is just so much greater. You don't have that instant feedback of a platformer where it's like, oh, I died and, you know, this is too hard. You have to play like 10 hours and be like, well, you know, that was a little too easy. Let's let's make it harder. But when you have 10 different, you know, attributes per character and per enemy, like the balancing is just it just gets 
gets crazy real quick. Well, speaking of Brian, he's been trying to put out, you know, his Dragon Warrior 1, I'll just call it a clone for lack of a better term. That's Um, what he calls it. Yeah, all he's missing is all the things that you just talked about. So if anyone listening is really into (laughs) uh, writing up a story or doing RPG graphics or music, definitely hit him up because he would love to get this out and I think Bo would love to play it. Oh, I would love to help with it, but uh, it's just... Well, you got your own stuff going on. Well, it has different specifications. You know, I think most homebrewers make what they want to play. And for Brian, he he loves Dragon... This is Bunny Boy. Um, he loves Dragon Warrior 1. Dragon Warrior 2 is too complex once you get the ship and multiple characters or something. Uh, these are vague things he's told me late at night. Um, <laughs> but he just wants Dragon Warrior 1, but he built his engine for the specs for Dragon Warrior 4. So it's like much better bigger and i have no clue how to build that game but uh jelly beans yeah that's some that's one of those things where for years he's been this is a way to get involved he said i have all this stuff can somebody please help me and everybody's like oh you should make a game like this or like what if we just you know what if there's a dragon over here and he's like that's not you're not designing a game (laughs) for me you're just telling me small things that don't it'd be like drawing graphics for somebody but only drawing one character it's weird that um People have a lot of ideas until you're looking for people to help with ideas. (laughs) Well, you start to, just like game development, you start to realize like how much has to go into even the simplest idea. And then with a very content driven genre like RPGs, you really got to be there for the long haul. Uh, Yeah. But there are a bunch of us that would love to work with other people or just hear what other people have to say. But you got to, you know, come to the table with... (laughs) That manila folder full of notes and, you know, design. Uh, it's not as easy as you'd think. But anyways, yeah, that's what I'd like to see in 2019. I would like to see at least one large RPG that I'm not building myself. Uh, <laughs> I would like to see one that you're building yourself. Ah, we'll see. You, you know me and deadlines. Uh, <laughs> they're a slippery thing. Uh, yep. Don't give them because you won't meet them. Well, yeah, that's the other thing is I just don't talk about things now because of that uh, tried yep. and true rule. It's something you have to learn. <laughs> you're like, that's yeah. not going to apply to me. And then three years go by and you're like, oh, guess I didn't make it. Oh, you can always see it when somebody new comes in the community and they're like, I'm doing this. And you're like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> and you wish them the best. You really like honestly do. But and and you got to like show up again six months later when you haven't heard from them and be like, you still working on that? Like push them just a little more. And yeah, then, you go yeah, to the profile I work page on and they haven't signed yeah. in for two months. Yeah. And that's when you got to reach <laughs> out and, you know, give them some motivation. But uh, I know one person, Nick, if you're listening, you, you finish your little game. That is that, was, is I, that the kid? No, no. This was a dude at MGC last year that came up to me and like showed me this amazing demo. And then he asked me for some help and I didn't quite help as much as I should have. And now I feel bad, but I'm, uh, getting my guilt out here on air you're a busy man bo i it's a it's hard reading somebody else's code is what the problem is especially <laughs> when they're a real programmer and you're not you're just like i don't see crayons on this page like <laughs> where's all the lines <laughs> it's very confusing so in 2019 are we gonna see are you calling it nescape or nes cape yes your one, own, of the, one of those two things is what I'm calling it. Your um, own personal goals for the year. What are those? Yeah, so my game is coming along strangely well. Um, I'm just not used to things coming together this quickly. You know, I've, it just feels like the past 
few years, like all I've wanted to do is get things out and it just hasn't quite happened for whatever reason. Do you want um, me to make you feel good about yourself for a second? Sure. Well, there was Larry. Larry took four years. Unicorn's taken about a decade. <laughs> Sneak and Peek was done in a drunken afternoon, maybe? Uh, a Frogger, Frogger, other people mostly did. Same with the incident. Study what? Hall. <laughs> did you say the, the incident was mostly done by other people? Is that what you're saying? Well, well the, the, the play <laughs> testing. You had a lot of help from your testers. But that one also, I mean, if you want to count it. That was like six years. I found those hidden ROMs. Yeah. What was the last? Oh, Risk. Uh, we got Risk. We got uh, Barry. Are, got... Like, when are you making me feel yeah. good? Yeah. When is when is the feeling good going to happen? Oh, the feeling good is that yeah. this project you've only been working on for like three months, right? Yes. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think you're right. Right around three months. Man, John is just like kicking ass on these graphics like it's like almost every day or every other day like he's getting me more and more stuff and it's all amazing better than i imagined and it's just all being implemented really easily it's just flowing man we we got this groove going so the game is right now about 70% done i'd say oh, wow um, it was only 50% and, this afternoon too well you know that's how fast it's going you know the blink of an eye you have a chapter done so we're hoping to i mean it's looking very likely that we're going to have it done. March 15th was my goal because that's the deadline to submit to Indicate. Um, oh, I was thinking tax day. That's April 15th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't got to worry about taxes until uh, next year for this project, mm. which is going to be, well, we'll see what that is. But yeah, that's my goal is just to get this game out. We're going to do a Kickstarter campaign. We're going to try to do the whole nine yards, um, offer some cool tiers, get the game out. You know, the feedback was really good at MAGFest from everyone who gave it a try. We got some some feedback. We made some tweaks, um, things we didn't consider. So um, all in all, I mean, I'm just so excited to get this game into people's hands because I think that it's uh, a unique genre on the system. I don't think it's necessarily been done. And if it has not quite in this way. The fact that you can use the Super Nintendo mouse to play through it, I think, is a cool addition. Um, just all in all, uh, a really, really fun time. Like, I've never had so much fun making a game, so I hope that uh, other people like it. You know, I, I'm pretty excited. Like, I, when you said you were going to make an escape room game, I was hesitant because, you know, mid-2000s, early 2000s, even currently, if you go to Target and you look in the bargain section, you see like the I Spy games, <laughs> uh, Titanic, the mystery, and you're like, oh boy. And so I just figured it would be like that, but I, I don't think I realized like how involved escape rooms are and how they're different than these simple like point and click games from back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm very excited to try this, and I did not try it at MAGFest because I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of people, but... Um, <laughs> Everyone else was embarrassed in front of people. I know, man, I've heard... I, I made fun of them, so I know. <laughs> yeah, and every time someone would play, you would, like, turn away quickly. Don't show me anything! I don't want to see. I like to go in fresh. <laughs> well, at this rate, you'll get to play it, uh, hopefully, the full game here in uh, about a month and a half. Yeah, I'll probably play it before then, but anyways. What are your personal goals for 2019? Oh. Besides moving into a house. 
Oh, yes. Besides that, uh, <laughs> pretty much like all life is on hold until that happens, which is tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I want to make more progress on the book, uh, get that closer to being completed, if not very close to being completed. I never want to say fully completed because there's always something else to do. Because you, uh, you don't give deadlines. Yeah, exactly. I learned from the man himself. Uh, <laughs> so he, you know, he can only be so upset. Um, and then, you know, I've got my RPG stuff that I've been working on. And that's just, that's, <sighs> I've only worked on it like a very small amount of time. I just haven't had a lot of time to work on it. So I take like a week, maybe two weeks, and I knock out a giant section of it in terms of the core engine. And I probably have two more large things to knock out. So maybe a month's worth of work. And then it's it's content creation time. Like I, I can't keep can't avoiding put it, it off any longer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the joy of knowing how to program somewhat is that you can just keep telling yourself you have new stuff to program and you never actually have to make a game. <laughs> Which I think that's what happened do. in the community for the past eight or the first eight years. <laughs> that is kind of what happened, yes, for a long time. Um, but I've got, you know, I had an artist working on things, uh, Chris Cacciatore, who did uh, Nebs and Debs and uh, the Spookatron art, and I, I'm sure he's working on something crazy and new at the moment. But, you know, he got busy and stuff, so I've actually pulled on a new artist, he set me up with somebody who could kind of kind of continue his work, even though we've ended up, you know, changing most of it at this point. And it's just, it is so motivating to see the ideas come alive. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Working with a fellow named Luke, and he is just phenomenal. And I would show you something, but, you know, that would just ruin the surprise. So we'll wait. We'll wait a little longer. Oh, come but, on. Uh, just a little taste. Oh, can you see it right now? Oh, yeah, that looks awesome. I wish everyone could see that. Yeah. Oh, everybody can. Just click on. <laughs> and there you go. Um, but no, like, I, I want... I mean, this is this is the game, or a game. This is the genre that I've been wanting to do the entire time I've wanted to make a game for the last 15 years. Wow. Since, like, 18... Seven, no, I mean, it goes back, like, all the way to, like, 95, but... Windows 95? No, uh, the Donkey Kong Country issue of Nintendo Power when they uh, showed Super Dante, the which is RPG Maker like for the Super Nintendo. Oh wow! And I was like, oh, you can make a game that that it just like blew my mind. And uh, when I finally found RPG Maker in 2003, it would have been then it was like this is what I want to do. And it's just for the last since then it's been the goal of trying to make this master RPG. I've got stories written. I've got characters. I've got designs. And it just keeps every time that I go to revisit it, it gets more concrete. Like we're getting closer to that goal. I don't know if it'll happen in 2019, but we're going to be way closer than we have ever been. Do you fight the last boss as the first battle? That's all I want in an RPG. I want to turn it on get my ass kicked and say what is happening right now and then realize that that was supposed to happen. And oh, you need to play starts. you need to play Lufia then. Oh, it's been done? Yeah, you're you're never original, we know that. Well. Oh well. Is is there anything you you'd like to learn skill-wise in uh 2019? Um JavaScript? <laughs> NES related. Oh, okay. I don't care about your JavaScript. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Things I want to learn. Nope. I mean, I like, I know it all. 
Yeah, we know that's not true. Uh, do you want to learn about what the difference is between NMI and game states? Like re- regular, non NMI? Why, why change what ain't broke, Bo? I've been making games in NMI since you were yay tall. I'm just going to keep uh, keep this train going, man. I'm pretty sure that's like 70% of your bugs were just that. <laughs> I'm, I'd wager to bet it's bigger than that. Oh, <laughs> like all my okay. bugs. I mean, like, like, do you want to tackle eight-way scrolling this year? Are you even thinking about post Nescape? No, because honestly, after we do any escape, I, I probably want to do a sequel, depending on how it does. So, oh, I don't know. It's better just... than you retiring again. <laughs> well, it might not be after you play it. You might w- wish me into retirement. I'll see it in the uh, target clearance section. That's right, right beside Titanic uh, mystery. I spy mystery, yeah. <laughs> what about you? Are there things that you want to learn that you don't know yet? Well, I, I did say eight-way scrolling already, uh, but it's more of like a four-way scrolling because there's no diagonals. I I think scrolling for me is the last big, can you do this and have that feeling of like the first time through you do it right, not sit there for nine months and try to figure it out. Yeah. Because uh, I did some scrolling last year, last March. I did the scrolling for Family Vacation, uh, which is sort of my Oregon Trail-esque game that mm-hmm. uh, we'll see if that usurps the RPG or not. Thank you for using the word usurp earlier. You're welcome. You just usurped it for yourself. Right. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> but yeah, that was like one directional and it was a pain and some things really didn't line up. Um, I, I really want to create an RPG that's single screen where you can build maps easier and things like that. But the challenge of eight-way scrolling is still out there. Even if I don't want to implement it, like I still kind of want to get to it. So we'll see. No, that's pretty awesome that you want to. Like I, I'm of the mindset that like if it's not something that I see myself using, like I don't even want to bother. Like I don't need to conquer a challenge just to say I did it. I don't have any interest in that. Oh, I've I've got some ideas that would use it. Is the problem just not not my RPG? Okay. Know. Yeah, we could build all sorts of platformers where you die all the time. Or oh uh, yes, and I will. No, that's I think that'd be building up to my legacy of the wizard like oh, game. Yeah, now, that I can get on board with. Yeah, I'm I'm terrified of that. So we'll just stick with RPGs for now because I can just get lost in many many other things. But if you finished a game of that magnitude, you could leave the legacy of Bo. All right, mm. that joke didn't work, so we're just going to move on. I just couldn't leave a witty comeback, that's all. <laughs> but enough about all this nonsense. Who cares about war- what we're doing? Um, we're here to talk about a game, are we not? Not one oh, of our games. Someone else's we... game. Well, not this episode. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. But yeah, what do you want to talk about this week, Mr. Hanley? Uh, I want to talk about a good old Canadian game called... Hey? Eskimo Bob, starring Alfonso. I, I hear this Alfonso guy's in it, and he might have even gotten his own game afterwards, but we'll, well get to that some yeah. other day. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, eh? So tell me about Eskimo Bob, because, um, I mean, I know a little bit about it because, you know, I played it, but tell us, tell the listeners, uh, paint a word picture. I usually give this question to you so I can tell you that you did it wrong. I know, uh, I'm just going to, like, dang. forego all of that nonsense, and then I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Yeah, you co-opt that well. Um, so Eskimo Bob, <laughs> you are 
an Eskimo named Bob, and you are in a puzzle platforming world. Um, what does that mean? So a puzzle platformer is <laughs> kind of like what it sounds, Kevin. Uh, it's a puzzler, and it's a platformer. So. Ah. Yes, I know. Very deep here. But the the levels or challenges are designed around specific puzzles like you would find in something like Lolo or... Lolo 2? Okay. <laughs> beyond, the, beyond the Lolo series, what else we got? Kickle Cubicle. Yeah, or like The Incident, something like that, um, where you're trying to solve a puzzle. But it's a platformer in the sense that you can run and jump and possibly interact, like attack enemies in real time. That's not so much turn-based uh, yeah. kind of like solomon's key or mm-hmm. uh fire and ice but yeah these types of games you they're more active than just the straight puzzler and so they have got and because they're played from a side view like a mario or mega man and so that's where they borrow the platformer part and there's usually you know jumping involved in that sudden death with spikes and all that crap uh which some people are really really into and, uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, this game was made by Thomas Guinan. We interviewed him last year this time or so because uh, he entered two games in last year's Nestev competition, uh, sequels or continuations of Eskimo Bob itself. Uh, he's from like way back in the day, like early 2000s, used to do translating, ROM hacking and all that. And way back when he had this other interest in making cartoons on a website called Newgrounds, which I feel like is like Canadian pre-YouTube or maybe it's just pre-YouTube and the Canadian thing doesn't apply. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was Canadian because I think a lot of the early like web animation cartoons were like housed on that website. Well, for those of us that don't do the internet, as you call it, um, I do. That's good to know. Yeah. Wasn't Homestar Runner on Newgrounds? Uh, that's what people tell me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no clue. Somebody showed me a clip once. And it's it was enough to like lodge in my mind that Eskimo Bob is a lot like Homestar Runner. Okay, but uh, there is no NES game with Homestar Runner. It's but there is a uh, NES game of Eskimo Bob. But why, Bo? Like, why is there an NES? Why why does there have to be an NES game of Eskimo Bob? So if you watch the cartoon from way back in two thousand one to I'm not quite sure when they ended, and I guess it's still active since he's done some more with it. But anyways, um. There were a lot of references to NES games in it, you know, as somebody who had just, you know, was getting into the early stages of reliving one's childhood and all that, you know, it was nostalgia, not like this current thing you've been doing for 10 or 20 years, uh, something you rediscovered, you know, there were a lot of references to NES stuff. And so this is kind of a nice tribute to that is that you know this cartoon that references nes stuff now becomes an nes game that references the cartoon like it's very circular Uh, i can see the infinite sign in front of me the old bait and switch no wait that's what's good for the goose is good for the gander oh (laughs) well played sir (laughs) still don't know what a gander is cool that's really awesome i didn't know that it, you know it started out as one thing referencing another thing and then like he flip-flopped it and turned it on its head that's pretty that's yeah, really cool I mean, and when you go from like 2001 to 20 i want to say 16 then you can kind of see how it's always sort of been alive in his mind just very neat to see this was somebody new who hadn't done anything before uh, and this was sort of his first full giant game 
Should I read this little intro in the manual that, that sets up the story? Let's hear it. All right. Ooh, are you going to do voices like I like to do? Oh, you're damn right. But what sucks is like, I'm sure that I'm not getting the voices correct since these were actually probably voiced in the cartoon. So Thomas, are, I apologize. Not, I assume that you're just going to put A at the end of every sentence, even though it's not in there. Well, I don't know if the cartoon characters are Canadian, are they? I don't know. They're in the Arctic. Citizens of Earth. It is I, Goat's Breath, emissary of the Martian leader, Ogrehead. Very good names, by the way. I applaud thee. We have forged an alliance with your villains of your planet and kidnapped one of your strongest allies. And then Alfonso goes, I think he means the seal. We have to rescue him, Bob. And Bob says, let's go. Because that's how he sounds, I'm sure. And That then, actually is kind of how he sounds, yes. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got this, like, voice. Well, there you go. I hear he burps a lot, too. Yes, he does. All right. Resistance is futile. You cannot stop us. And then Bob says, we'll just see about that. Wait, no, that's Alfonso. Well, I mean, it's enough. That's more than most. Zelda was like, go find the princess. You're like, that's it? Oh, absolutely. And it, it doesn't really set it up in the game that I saw. You you would have had to have read the manual um, to have gotten sort of any. No, there, there's an initial cutscene. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah, he's got full cutscenes in this thing. Well, you know, the, the game is so long, 64 levels, that it took a long time for me to get through it, so it's been a long time since I saw the beginning of the game. Well, that is the joy of password saves. <laughs> so, 64 levels, would you say that's a good amount? I would say that, yes, it is challenging, to say the least. I'm just going to keep shaking my head with a kind of a some sort of look on my face okay i mean what, what the, there's good and bad with these levels the, the good thing is like you're gonna die a lot but yes the levels are so I, when i say small i don't mean like easy they're like small as far as like geographically that like you can figure out what you need to do pretty quickly so if you die when you restart you can pick up very quickly and, and try to progress um but yeah 64 levels lots of variety Lots of character swapping, which we'll talk about in a second. But all in all, I mean, it, it is a challenging game. Yeah, so in these levels, you're confronted with different obstacles. Uh, your goal is always to collect all of the fish. Uh, and when you collect the fish, you get an extra life, which is always always nice. You have blocks to break. You have certain blocks you can only pass through in one direction. You've got a bunch of enemies that you either have to avoid, kill, or get out of your way in some way. And then there's this fun thing where you've got Bob and also Alfonso. Even though the whole thing is called Eskimo Bob, it's always starring Alfonso. He's always kind of like right there. Mm -hmm. um, and he he's more eloquent than Bob, in my opinion. So it's he's, he's easier to talk to. Um, <laughs> if we were interviewing a character, I'd want to talk to either Alfonso or Maurice, the uh, seagull who poops on people. Oh, but yes, Maurice. I don't know if he actually has words. Isn't there, um, isn't there a character that is the poop? Let me look in the this manual is South Park? here. No, yeah, no. you need to look that up before yeah. you make these wild no, no, statements. it's true, it's true. Let's see. Yuck. Yuck is a piece of Maurice's poop, which was struck by lightning and brought to life. His name is, in fact, Yuck. Okay, see, and this is, this is very early 90s, like internet, <laughs> humor, and I don't know how Mr. Hanky came about, but I, 
I'm guessing it's probably lightning. Maybe not. Um, maybe he was just gifted into life by Paul. I don't know. Uh, part of a super C. But um, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more about the character switching, though, because this cool mechanic that he put in the game, there are igloos stationed throughout these levels, and you have to physically go into the igloo, kind of like Superman going into a phone booth, and like the other character then comes out. So that's how they switch. You made that way more epic than it is. You just you just that's hit cool. up. And, you hit up in front of the igloo, and you kind of duck down, and then you become the other character. Yes, I yeah yeah. It's kind of like Superman. I was impressed. Oh, I think it's very neat. There's very few games I've seen that do that. It's very very cool. Well, when I get excited, I get excited. What can I say? I no, when you get excited, you steal ideas. I know how this works. <laughs> But one of the cool things about that whole switching abilities thing is, or switching characters thing is that Bob and Alfonso have different abilities. Bob can punch down and yes. break blocks with his head and Alfonso can break blocks with his head, but also use a stick and poke things uh, sideways. He can move the walrus. He can get rid of some enemies, but not all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he just turns them other directions. And uh, Bob, which if you Bob can jump higher too. Bob can definitely jump higher, which is so much better than Alfonso's tiny little jumps. Yes. Uh, but if you watch the cartoon, Alfonso's always off after his stick. You know, somebody's stealing it or he's trying to find <laughs> it or he's using it. Like, it all fits in even – it fits in with if you've seen the original cartoons. But if you're just playing the game, it makes, like, perfect sense. You don't have to have watched the cartoon. There was just a very good job with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another cool thing this game has um, that I don't think any other puzzle-type games have, it actually has boss fights throughout the game. Well, I won't contradict you on air, but... Um... I wouldn't say it's common, though. I mean, <laughs> if, if that's what you're contradicting me on. Yeah, no, other games do it, but this game does does a... You know, they're very, like, right there. Uh, it's good to see that and not just see straight puzzler. Uh, you know, like The Incident, that had no bosses. Nobody yeah, wants to play that crap. Yeah, it just crap. goes on forever, and it's like the same thing. Not interested. Yeah. But this game has, like, every 16 levels or so, it, like, puts a boss fight in. Um, and each oh, yeah, one that, sort that of... that would be the numbering. Hm. Yeah, and each one gets progressively... Uh, it, it They add a little bit to each boss fight. You can always tell when somebody's thinking in hex because to put a boss every 16 <laughs> levels, you got to be a special type. I mean, when you're playing the first Zelda and you're like, why is my max ruby count uh, ruby 255? Count 255. <laughs> you're like, why would anybody do that? That's just dumb. And they're like, oh, wait, now I know. It's the highest 8-bit number. And if they just put FF on there, I would have been so much happier. Would you have understood that as a child? No, but maybe it would have opened doors to bigger things. <laughs> um, what mapper does this game use? Uh, this game, uh, you know, it, it was Thomas's first game. He wanted to keep it very basic. It runs on NROM, so no mapper. Uh, just, you know, that's what Super Mario Brothers ran off of. Ice Climber, Excite Bike, or Excite a Bike, as I like to call it. And, you know, that uh, game called Micromages, ah, Nebs and Devs. Micromages, you know. I have heard of it. Ah, yes. We see again that weird, strange, sick, dare I say, fascination with Enrom. That, you know, I always give the Enrom crowd crap because usually I just, you know, I want to see more. Right. Uh, they've, they've kind of scratched the surface and it's like, but what about, you know, another 16 levels? Why not, Julius? Uh, but with Eskimo <laughs> Bob, like he really did a good job 
of making and not that nobody not that other people haven't but like i feel very complete with this yes it's a good experience i've had a good time and you can tell where he went like i'm looking at this going well there's not really a lot of room to expand but then he builds a whole sequel that just goes nuts Mm -hmm. um, and really like you know takes these this core mechanic of, of the characters and the puzzles and just blows it up like a lot like from Mario 1 to Mario 3. Yeah. No, it's pretty exciting. Um and I like the way he like you said he took the mechanic and built upon it. Like it's it's fun for me to see when people do that. They sort of get their bearings making a game and then they take that idea and like just take it to the nth degree. Um so I'm excited to play through uh the sequel. Yeah, it's always interesting to me when, like, I can see some games and, like, see an obvious sequel, like, oh, just more levels or more mm-hmm. this, but he really refined all the aspects. And I think he had to cut quite a bit when he was doing Eskimo Bob. Maybe not cut, but file into the sequel folder that we all have. I know that he first put the Konami code in and then took it out. And then when he was done, realized he still had room, so he put it back in. So the the code does work in the game. <laughs> oh, good to know. I've I'm not a cheater like Kevin, so I didn't know that. Well, you know. Um, but this yeah, like you said this is this game does feel like it's a good length. Like when you're done with the game, you feel like you've accomplished something. Well, it's just the difficulty ramps up so much toward the end that you're just puzzling over these levels and just really (laughs) struggling and so you finally get to the end it's just kind of a relief like okay like this went from easy to very hard i feel good about this i've accomplished something and i can you know await the sequel well another good thing is you know with the length of this game and some of the difficulty dick some of the difficulties some of these levels um he did implement passwords so it's not like you have to sit down and play through the game in one sitting there is way there's a way to continue yeah i'm glad there is a way the font is a little tricky to read um in terms of entering those passwords in Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get on my usual tirade against password systems because we have flash saving these days that could easily be implemented. But um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, this wasn't a bad password system, especially because usually when I was sitting down to play it, I was either trying to get past one specific level and that's all I wanted to do. Or uh, I could go for several and make good good progress before I needed to uh, stop and restart. And one thing that isn't immediately obvious when you're playing the game is um, he actually kept a death counter in the game. Uh, you don't see it on screen anywhere, but when you bank the game, it tells you how many times you've died. And what's cool is he actually baked the death counter into the password system. So when you enter in that password, it basically tells the game how many times you've died up until then. So it keeps an accurate count. Ah, yes. One of my least favorite parts about Battle Kid was the active death counter that just kept (laughs) reminding you of how much you'd failed. I'm glad he saved it for the end. Yeah, that was that was sweet. Good stuff. But let's talk about the art a little bit. Oh, the art. If you look at this, I mean, this game is just garbage. It's it's like the most simplistic uh, art. Whoa. Right. Whoa. Isn't whoa, that what whoa. you see here? Whoa. When I think simple art, I think a study hall. And I, I took all those beatings, <laughs> Bo. You just leave them alone. No. Um, what's unique about this game is he modeled the art in this game very closely to how he drew the Flash cartoons, right? Yeah, well, again, we see that circle of the Flash cartoons were based on NES graphics, like 
an understanding of them, not directly doing them. And then this game reflects then the cartoon. So it's actually very interesting in mm-hmm. terms of an art style. Yes. Uh, it's a very unique that style clear. that I haven't, uh, I haven't seen anything like it. When you look at screenshots of this game, it is, it, it looks different than anything else you've seen on the system. It's, I mean, a lot of people would probably look at it and go, it's overly simplistic, but really what's going on is that it's not based on the NES at all. It's, it's transmuting this cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, in terms of art is very, you know, it's not strong, bad. Homestar Runner, South Park-esque yes. in style. So there isn't a bunch of shading or anything going on. He's not doing weird tricks with black fading into the background or anything it's just very i don't want to use the word basic but it is very charming and cute yeah i mean it's not something that people see often and i think if if the cartoon didn't exist it would look you know like somebody well without the cartoon like i don't think it would make as much sense as it does knowing that that's what this is based off of yeah giving it some context certainly helps uh, appreciate it um, and, and learning, you know, when you explained the cartoon a little bit, it's made me appreciate it even more. Well, and when you have a puzzler platformer, the last thing you want to do is not know where you're stepping when you go to make that jump. Like this game very clearly and easily communicates all the boundaries and mm-hmm. collisions and things like that. Absolutely. So Thomas said that, uh, all the music in the game, uh, actually came from, different he calls them stupid little songs that he had in his head throughout his life um but they're you know little jingles that uh i guess when he wakes up in the morning he hears so i thought it'd be cool to uh play one for you guys just so you can get a little taste of uh what the music sounds like in this game channeling the muse So we are back with the man himself, uh, Thomas Guinan, who programmed Eskimo Bob. We talked with him last year with the uh, 2017 Nesteb competition, which of course finished in 2018. Uh, he had <laughs> entered two entries, uh, the Alfonso Project, uh, which was sort of a demo of a game he would go on to later kickstart this year, and then also uh, Alfonso Melee, which was sort of a two-player fighting game and so we know he's a programmer we know he did eskimo bob uh we know he's done some video stuff but uh 
Say hello, Thomas. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not to make that more weird for you, but... Eh, I should have said hello, Thomas, but I, I didn't think of that oh, quick enough. But... Oh, oh, that would have been a good one. Instead, I just get to uh, tell you who you are, which is kind of awkward, but hey, whatever. Yeah, it works. A lot of people think of the retro gaming movement and the nostalgia for the NES um, as something post-2010. But here you were years before creating something that looks like it would have grown out of today's culture. How did all that sort of come about? Uh, well, at the time um, when I started making Eskimo Bob, like it was just a Flash cartoon that my brother and I made. Sort of right before then and sort of overlapping, we were some of the early members of the uh, ROM hacking translation community. Back with uh, there's uh, Demi's WWW board was a big center of it, and uh, the ROM hack channel on Fnet. Uh, that's so I did a lot of uh, translations back in the day. Um, so I the sort of that early NES emulation scene, we were a big part of that, and I think that had a lot of influence on the uh, cartoons that we made. I just want to first stop and comment on the fact that you just dropped an Fnet reference. I don't know how many people listening are down with the IRC, but that makes me very happy. Uh, I know one listener here who's not. I have no clue what you're talking about. You said Fnet, and I was like, he said a dirty word. And that's, that's, that's the best I had there. Uh, wait, so you've mentioned good. this brother before, uh, but he's not involved with the Eskimo Bob stuff today, is he? Um, not so much. I, I'd say I have his blessing, but he's kind of, you know, maybe over the years, I think I'm the one that kept up with it. He didn't. And, okay. uh, you know, I'll, I'll give him. I've given him free copies of the games that I make and stuff, and he's he's cool with that. He thinks they're cool, so and you're just <laughs> paying him off in free games, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you rub it in come Canadian Thanksgiving. I know how this works. Yeah, yeah. And every <laughs> once in a while, he'll sort of say, "He's like, hey, I got I got some old scripts that I wrote a few years ago. We should make some more episodes." And then nothing ever really comes of it, sadly. But you know, I mean, well, you never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, in addition to the NES, am I wrong in guessing that there was at least some level of strong bad influence on the old Flash cartoons? Oh, I'm going to be honest with this. When we first made them, we hadn't heard of Homestar Runner or Strong Bad or anything. Then there was sort of wow. Yeah, then there. This was the first episode came out. I'd say January 2001. I'm not sure when Homestar Runner started, but we started early 2001. There was sort of a year gap in between where we didn't make many episodes and there i think it was around episode there's a there's a gap in the episodes from 30 and that goes skips to 32 we were Mm -hmm. making this big huge episode that was episode lost episode 31 and then there was a hard drive crash and we lost everything and we had a pretty active forum on the website and there was 10 forum members who did guest voices and we lost all those and didn't know how to contact these people a year later and so we were like okay we i just don't feel right about calling the next episode 31 so we skipped to 32 and at episode 32, this would have been 2003 at this point. That was when people first started saying like, okay, Eskimo Bob is starting to feel like Homestar Runner. And I was like, wait, Homestar <laughs> What? I've never even watched Homestar Runner. So I actually made it a point to not watch Homestar Runner or Strong Bad on purpose because it bugged me that people said I was ripping them off. 
<laughs> have you still to this day not watched a lot of it? I still to this day I may have like seen a strong bad email or two, but that's about it. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. Very original between that and then also just being hip with the uh, NES before it was I mean, I think a lot of us were probably buying back our childhoods about 2003, but uh, to, you know, actually create something that was reflective of that is, is kind of ahead of its time, I'd say. But uh, yeah, how did you kind of get into home brewing? What made you kind of stop and say, I can and, and want to do this? Well, basically, I had uh, gone back to school and taken computer science uh, in like when I sort of thought it was time for a career change. I was doing a crappy tech support job that I hated. I thought, I can't do this anymore. So I went back to school. I took computer science because I was like, this is where my skill set lies. This is what I should be doing. And it was just an opportunity in my life that uh, it felt right. So as I was doing that, I heard about the uh, the uh, retro USB AVS. And I was like, oh, this looks pretty cool. So I bought the, I ended up pre-ordering that. I bought it when it came out and at the same time i uh i got battle kid and that was the first homebrew game that i had played and you kept so, playing homebrews after that yeah <laughs> <laughs> well basically Damn. yeah I, I, it was funny because uh me and a friend of mine it was around christmas time he was over to my house and uh we were we were playing it like tossing the controller back and forth getting angry um but it was it was like the fun angry you know and we were I'm looking it- at it and thinking this is a game that just some guy made and I feel like I could probably do this because I've got, I have some NES experience. I used to hack and stuff back in the day. So I just sort of, I looked up some tutorials. I found uh, Doug Fraker's site with the C tutorials and I, mm-hmm. I followed along with some of those and uh, that's how it got started. Did you program Eskimo Bob and C? I did. Yeah. I did oh, not know really? that. Wow. I did not know that either. Huh. Yeah, so the, and that's pretty much what I've been using primarily for for all my projects since then too. So. Well, we can cancel the rest of this interview. We don't we don't talk to those C people. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you could have made this game into sort of any genre, um, but what made you choose a puzzle platformer? Did it seem more accessible or easier to do, or did you have like influences or loves from any of the NES library? Um, I had actually played um, one game that kind of stuck in my head while I was playing it. Um, I remember playing uh, Moai Kun on a uh, multi cart when I was a kid, and it just always struck me as a really fun game there's something just bizarre about just i don't know if you guys have played it but it's just like a little moai head that's sort of running around collecting little screaming faces and and knocking blocks around and it was always a fun game i would play it was (laughs) (laughs) nightmarish well it was a game i enjoyed when i was a kid and uh, so then the other influence probably that I had was um, Cat Trap for the Game Boy. Ah, I've and, heard. Which again is another sort of puzzle platformer. It's called Pitman in, in Japan. And I actually, um, I don't know if you guys used a petite computer for the DSi, but it's sort of like basic. It's like a version of the basic programming language for the DSi. And I think there's a 3DS cool. version of it as well. And uh, when that came out, it kind of reminded me of uh, QBasic, which was sort of where I got my programming start when I was really young. And uh, so I played around with that, and I ended up finding the source code to 
written in basic for Pitman that had been published in some Japanese magazine. Um, So I ended up writing a port of Pitman for the DSi using this uh, petite computer. And that was probably a couple years before I started the uh, Eskimo Bob game. But I think where it's that similar genre, like that game, you're sort of running around collecting gold and then the level's over and you collect all the gold. So I think I kind of had some influence from that and from... uh, for Moai-kun, those are probably the two biggest influences on the game. So when you're programming on the DSi, are you like tapping your code? Yeah, yeah. Tap, <laughs> it was tapping it out on the lower screen wow. keyboard. It was, uh, I don't know, it took, it didn't take that long because I already had the code. It had to be changed a bit, but it might have taken me about a week. And uh, it was more just doing something for the sake of, hey, I did it. Sheesh, <laughs> <laughs> ROM hacking, DSi programming. I guess homebrewing was just kind of natural i was really expecting like wholesome uh influences you know like solomon's key or fire and ice or not screaming heads that melt and collect coins or whatever (laughs) well solomon's key is probably that that's probably sort of subliminally an influence too because i do i i did have that game ever since i was a kid i still have the cartridge so but could you bootleg and multi-cartridge from the 80s but yeah, that was that Moai Kun. I don't even know if I knew the name of the game when I was a kid. It was something that was on my friend's seventy six and one boot. There was a lot of bootleg cards or carts um, where I grew up. Like I remember playing Super Mario three a year before it was released because there were bootlegs that you could just go rent at like the local video store. Canada, that's <laughs> mind blowing to me. Yeah. Like I, I don't think I saw a bootleg card until like well into the aftermarket lifespan no i remember this is about 1989 and i remember looking like why does this yellow cartridge have this ribbon attachment thing (laughs) (laughs) man did you those are like mail order stuff that's like that's the original bootlegs oh yeah there was definitely mail order forms and i think there was some parents and some local non-chain video stores that uh that did it because there were these weird i remember seeing these weird mail order things that would just come as junk mail and you could order these bootleg cartridges or they would have like replica hockey cards on the same order form i don't even know what kind of company this was that had this stuff (laughs) (laughs) you walk up to the uh, clerk at the convenience store give him a wink and a handshake and he slips you a bootleg famicoms okay good oh handshake okay i was worried about where you're going with that (laughs) no yeah kevin i've got some stories about that but that's a different that's for a different time uh (laughs) with eskimo bob uh what was your kind of favorite or kind of most enjoyable aspect of this game in terms of programming uh hmm i think one of my favorite things with programming is uh programming enemy behavior and the the first game doesn't have as interesting enemy behavior as a second probably but i just like the idea of reducing the movement down to like some equations basically so there's just something that's satisfying about that to me can you explain the narwhal's behavior at all (laughs) (laughs) that's bo's favorite enemy oh man well i'll blatantly say the narwhal was inspired by the uh the big fish from uh, mario 3 that uh, jump up and eat you um oh it is shoot so, you're right um yeah and the the narwhal it was just there was narwhals in cartoon at some point so i a lot of the characters are just from various episodes of the cartoon they may have even only been in one episode and i was like well i could use that 
<laughs> Putting them in. It's like, I already have artwork. I, I, I'm literally just looking through these old Flash files thinking like, where's some artwork that would make good pixel art? <laughs> Man, that's crazy. My least, absolute least favorite thing to program is enemy behavior. I just hate it. I don't know. There's something like with, uh, especially with the second game, because the first game was kind of an afterthought, to be honest. But is the uh, boss behavior? I really uh-huh. have a lot of. It, it's it's really fun for me programming boss behavior. We'll get and to trying to come up with something sure. interesting. Uh, what was your kind of least, or was there anything like that you just really put off programming because you didn't want to do it with Eskimo Bob? Uh, I'd say. Um, I mean, the thing that definitely takes the most amount of time, it can get a little bit tedious, was uh, level design. Because I feel, I, I mean, I crammed a lot of levels in there. And yes. at some point, I, I it started to feel a little tedious, and I would take a little break from it. And then it's like, okay. And th- there'd be some days it's like, you know, I could pump out three levels in a day. And then there's, I might take three days on a level next. So those are the ones that would get kind of tedious. Uh, so when you actually like started to program this game, how did you kind of decide on like the parameters that the game was going to have in terms of like the levels? Like, you know, because they scroll across so many screens, like there's so many probably enemies per screen, different objects. Like, how did you arrive at all those many decisions? The whole sort of looping two screen mechanic, it, it was basically almost just dictated by NES as the two name tables. And uh, I remember playing playing through one of the scrolling demos in one of Doug Fraker's scrolling demos and it was sort of a really simple platform that scrolled two screens infinitely and I remember playing that and thinking you know if this was refined this could make a pretty cool mechanic where it's sort of just like a looping enclosed area but at the same time you've got the freedom to loop around and uh, I guess in in some way it kind of reminded me like if you were to take load runner but take the walls off of the sides and just allow yourself to loop all the way around mm, yeah so huh and I guess when I played that, it kind of I kind of thought I'm like maybe I can build a game around this. You mentioned level design. Um, what like what was your process for designing the puzzles and the level layouts? Uh, it really depended. It was there was sort of an iterative process, I'd say, um, depending on the level. Uh, like sometimes there's levels where it was almost like I drew a picture or wrote a word or try, and then tried to build a level around that. And I think that was more when I was running out of ideas, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, did you know that Bo played through the entire game and did not realize you were spelling words? Oh, really? No, no clue. <laughs> I even got my wife's name in one of the levels. It just straight up says Shannon. <laughs> That's the level. I, I, and she didn't notice it at first. See, I, I'm in that company. Like, I was so focused. I had no clue that you were making anything other than levels. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, the letters are so big. It's it's hard unless you're paying attention to to re- to realize. I just figured you got really high and just started placing objects everywhere. <laughs> the Kevin Hanley method. Oh, not quite. <laughs> Were the bosses added after the fact, or d- did you sort of plan them from the beginning? Uh, originally, I didn't plan to have bosses. Um, I think I probably got about. I did plan from the start, pretty much from the start, after I'd figured out how I was going to organize the levels and how much space I had in the ROM, I thought, okay, I could fit 64 levels in this. And that's just such a nice number for a programmer, too, that it kind of became my goal. Like It's like, okay, 64, that's a nice number. I'm going to go with that. And I didn't have any boss really planned out until... 
I think it was I was about halfway finished the level design, and I thought this game I need a boss. But at this point, I'd already designed all my enemies. And most of the, like, I didn't really have a lot of extra space. So I was sort of was like, okay, I need to make a boss that I can sort of design a level around without making the boss actually do very much. So that's why I sort of had the idea of like, okay, I'll take, I'll make, uh, I'll put these Martians and these Martians are characters that like, again, like comes back to my, my brother and I, but we had, they're actually little characters when we were probably nine or ten years old that we made with popsicle sticks, and they were these evil Martians. So that's why they have that look to them. And oh, uh, okay. so, and and we had thrown them in a couple of Eskimo Bob episodes as well. So I was like, okay, these can be the villains. They're nice and simple. Um, and uh, so anyway, I designed this. I, I was like, okay, I'll just sort of make this simple spaceship with the tile space I have left over. I'll slap a Martian in it, and uh, I'll. It's pretty much the only mechanic I had for Bob to fight because I was like, well, I don't want to have Alfonso fighting the bosses because he's not the main character. So the only thing Bob can do is jump on top of them and punch down. And uh, so I was like, I'll I'll create challenge by having other enemies running around while you're fighting this boss. So the final boss was the first one I created, which I then handed off to my poor wife. And she just, because <laughs> she was testing all the levels. She's, she's was really into the development of the game. And uh, so she was testing the levels and she was like, this is, this is so hard. And, <laughs> and I was kind of laughing. And I, then I get a couple of my friends to try it out. And then it's like, they're finding it so hard. Then I get this one friend after about, I think it took him about 20 minutes. He beat it and he's just looking. He's like, yeah, in your face. I beat it. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then, so then I thought at first I was just going to have that final boss. I was like, yeah, maybe I should have a lead into this. So I, I kind of scaled back and I designed the boss fights in reverse where I sort of took one thing out of the fight. It's like, "Ah, I'll take some projectiles out. I'll take one of these, characters out and i sort of scaled back until i was like okay now i have an easy enough boss for the first one and the so i kind of made them in reverse by starting with this ridiculously stupid boss and uh scaling it back and making it easier i've Man. i found that it's impossible to know how hard something is when you're programming it well that's the thing right because there's some little bits of logic that make sense to you and uh, other people think it looks totally random like i know a lot of people with that final boss one of the big things people have trouble with is trying to understand where the enemies are going to spawn after you hit them or after they drop off the screen and really it's just their i think it's like their x location stays the same and the y location just they it just reverts to the top of the screen so they're not trapped somewhere so that so from a programming perspective it was that was a pretty simple thing to do but for other people they're like oh they just spawn all over the place this makes no sense your bosses are extremely difficult at least most of them like when you first start to play them you just keep dying and you're like there has to be some sort of logic to this and sure enough like once you figure it out it's like oh okay i was way overthinking this or i was just doing too much and i I need to just calm down and take a break and then beat him. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. It's, I mean, they, they're pretty obvious pattern. Like the projectiles shoot out at very regular intervals. And so I didn't think I was making something that hard, but that was one of the first things I, like, I remember there was a, a friend of mine, he posted on Twitter. He's like, I like your game, but I got to the final boss and I'm never playing it again. And 
I just thought it was hilarious that he said that. <laughs> just, Bigger man uh, than I. What can you do? Yeah. Uh, I think it's funny that your wife actually tested your game. When I finished Spookatron, I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, dear, it's done. And she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, do you want to see it? And she was like, no, not really. And I was like, okay. And eventually, like two or three months later, she saw me playing it or testing it or doing something. And she was like, that's what you made? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, thanks. I appreciate that. No, no. She yeah. tested every level, including the boss. She did eventually beat the boss. So she's she's beaten every level in the game. So did you put her name in before or after she beat everything? <laughs> it was it was in there before. It was sort of uh one of those I things like she came home from work and I'd be like, I'm gonna put her name in and see if she notices. She did notice that, but it took her a couple minutes. So you targeted Enrom with this project, keeping it, you know, simple, no mapper, what we would find in things like Super Mario Brothers, Excite Bike, Ice Climber, uh, those types of things. Was there any particular reason for that choice? You know, cost, scope, simplicity, nostalgia, whatever. Uh, I think basically it just came down to um, what I had. Like, I started programming with that um, as like just, you know, a lot of people, you just start out with Enrom because it's easy. And uh, I guess I just never felt the need to go beyond that. Um, the other thing, too, was uh, what was the other reason? Oh, yeah, I got a uh, I had bought an Enrom board from uh, Infinite nes lives and uh i basically was like okay i'm just going to use this as my testing board as i make the game and i didn't want to have to buy another one so (laughs) so this past year you released a sequel to eskimo bob called alfonso's arctic adventure what were the reasons behind a direct sequel were there things that you learned along the way of your first game that you finally felt that you could tackle or were there was there sudden inspiration that struck um i guess it, it probably would be the sudden inspiration thing is that it would be the closest to what you said um i guess when i finished up the first game it was uh i was still kind of having fun programming it to be honest so i i thought it would be fun at first to uh sort of have the game's concept reversed where you start with alfonso and then you'd switch to bob or a bob-like character um instead of it being you know, starting with Bob and switching to Alfonso. So I was going to take the levels from the first game, sort of re- rework them a bit, make it a hard mode. And that was sort of my original intention and uh, very quickly abandoned that idea and uh, just sort of started making a full-blown sequel. <laughs> so after I did the first world, I really got into this idea of like, I need to add more to the more to it, like a, a map screen and tr- trying to add more features so i spent a few months with these same first levels just adding a whole bunch of features whatever i could think of off the top of my head and then built the rest of the game off of that i remember when you posted that map screen on twitter i think and it was just beyond impressive it was like wow i mean this this is just awesome if if this is where we're at in the uh, community thanks (laughs) it seems like eskimo bob kind of kind of still holds the record for the fastest nes kickstarter to be delivered to backers you know from that the day it was funded to the day that it arrived in people's hands was like three months or something uh how did that accomplishment kind of make you feel and then was that kind of hanging in the background when you went to do alfonso's arctic adventure um i mean i guess i wasn't really thinking that much about it at the time i just sort of 
was thinking, okay, as fast as I can get the materials, I'm going to ship them out, and I just want to do it as quickly as possible. I, I, I do think, though, that Nebs and Debs must be at least close, because I got I just got that the other day, and that came pretty quick. Um, <laughs> Giving you a run so for your I, money. You know, I think a thing that happens. Um, I just got notification today that the that the cartridges are being, uh, that uh, Infinite NES Live is shipping the cartridges to me, so... Alfonso awesome. should be shipping soon too. So, all right. So you've done the Flash cartoon. Um, you you know you have a history of ROM hacking. You've done all these projects, but for Eskimo Bob specifically, do you have any lasting lessons or experiences that you've taken away from the the time working on it? I mean, I guess one thing that is really done for me, um, like specifically, if I'm to look at the Eskimo Bob NES game, it really kind of hits a pivotal point in my life because I did it just as I was finishing up my computer science degree. It was, it was a point on my resume that got a lot of attention and uh, it opened up a lot of opportunities like, and still is, which is, uh, it's been pretty exciting. Like the past, it hasn't even been two years since it came out. It's only been what a year and a half. And it's, uh, I, it just it's felt like uh it just felt like good things have been happening since and i really appreciate it that's awesome man that's cool though i've heard of other people too that like uh, being able to just like whip out an nes cartridge in an interview and be like i made this and they're like uh okay yeah how much do you need <laughs> we'll take you <laughs> i don't know if it's quite that much that good well in the, in the fan- some opportunities the Hollywood version, that's how it works. You whip it out and they ask you how much you want. Yeah. So I've I've heard, I've heard some rumblings now that you're starting to tease kind of a new project. Is there anything you want to tell us about that now, or is it still all under wraps? Uh, it's right now under wraps. I'm not really okay. able to say much about it yet. That's fair. Um, that's fair. I can say, yeah, Reason being, it's it's something being done with a licensed property. Um, that's all I can really say. I because the licensee doesn't want me to say anything else yet. So, so it's it's not going to be an Eskimo Bob game or Alfonso, and I'm guessing it's probably not going to be the same type of puzzle platforming gameplay. Maybe uh, I could probably say the gameplay type. The gameplay is more of like a uh, like a beat 'em up, Double Dragon, River City Ransom style, um, like mm. three quarter view. So it's it's going to be a fair fair bit different. Yeah. Oh, so you're making the next River City Ransom sequel for? No, 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 okay. no, not nothing quite like that. But uh, it's definitely a fun project. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You... All right. Regardless of that, let's get to the important questions. Okay. <laughs> What is your go-to Tim Hortons order? I'd say hot chocolate, white hot chocolate, actually. Uh, I don't drink coffee, so. Well, no one's perfect. <laughs> you know, my, my question after that was going to be, how can you drink that crap? <laughs> but apparently you don't, so good man. You don't uh, get any Timbits? Uh, occasionally. Okay. All right, let's get back to homebrew. So do you have a favorite homebrew of all time? Uh, let's see. It's it's so hard to pick. And don't um, say Battle Kid, or we're scrapping the whole interview. 
Uh, I mean, I could say right now I've, I have been really enjoying Nebs and Debs. So if I was to go with at the current moment, I'd probably go with that, probably because it's new and fresh in my mind. Um, all time is really hard, but oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's a really good game. It's really hard, though. Like, I'm, I'm struggling. It is. it is hard. It is really hard. I've only gotten past maybe, uh, like, maybe two levels past the first boss. That's so. one level further than me. It's it's tough. I hear that Nebs and Debs is going to be the new game that I love to hate. So <laughs> step aside, Battle Kid. Your days are over. So do you have a favorite home brewer of all time? Ah, uh, again, that's a tough call, man. Um, <laughs> I only asked the Kevin tough Hanley. questions. It's got to be Kevin Hanley. No, it doesn't. Let's see. Well, if it doesn't, hmm. I don't know. I'll, I'll just I'll keep it consistent, and I'm going to go with Chris Cacciatore right now because I've been enjoying his stuff. I don't know that he's been answered before, so that is a solid answer. All right. I'm sure he'll appreciate that, yeah. A little feather <laughs> in his cap. I don't think it'll be the last time because that dude is good. No, it is a that is. A, I just feel it's a very solid professional release. I really enjoy it. I do like that you can play the title screen. That was yeah, that was a fun little surprise actually. When I turned it on, I was like, I press A to start and I jump, and I was like, oh. <laughs> hey cool. hey, I I like to go in fresh here. Come on. Uh, oh, okay. spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Spoiled thanks. the first second of the game. <laughs> Well, is there anything that you would like to say to the world before we let you go back to the snow? No. All right. <laughs> I have no idea. No, uh, no it's, been, it's been good talking to you guys, and uh, I hope to talk to you again sometime soon. If I could have gotten a copy of Galf, we might be talking sooner, but uh, until you can make that happen, I can't help you. <laughs> oh, I, I wish I had control over that, to be honest. <laughs> that was that was a surprise i'm gonna be honest i did not expect that to happen i mean it was it all. was such a limited run that oh i hear it might be strictly limited the, the strange irony is is that there are probably going to be more more cartridges <laughs> of galf in existence than either of my own original games so... yeah all of our games combined yeah yeah it's, it's just it's kind of funny right how it works out that way yeah, well, we're happy for do? you though. Yeah, Thanks. very, very excited to see what you've done, and I'm even more excited to see what you're going to do next. So uh, take care, and thanks for coming on. All right, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always nice getting the people on the podcast who made these games. Like it never gets old talking to the actual people responsible for making them. What you think people want to listen to us the whole time? I don't blame them. We need new people on air. <laughs> I I barely even want to listen to you myself. Oh, he went there. <laughs> he went there. Um, did you have any memorable moments? Memorable, memorable moments from the game? I had some, how do we call them, frustrating moments that have stuck with me, <laughs> yes. Well, it is a puzzle game, so there are going to be those. Apparently. Puzzle, puzzle platformers, though, uh, they kind of get me because it's not just like, solving it correctly you also have to run and jump and do crap and not yes. just sit there you can't just walk away from the tv like you can with the incident and come back you you got to worry about things killing you well and there's things in this game that kill you whether you ask them to or not <laughs> like so like in in Mega Man, you could sit there and whatever screen you started on, you just sat there and nothing would attack you or try to kill you uh, a on safe those. zone 
Yes, there was an initial safe zone, uh, which is missing in some games. I don't know if people just haven't picked up on that or what's going on there, Derek. Um, <laughs> but what I do know is that this game, like, you're sitting there, you're kind of analyzing, like, huh, I wonder what I have to do. And then, like, the penguin starts running at you and jumping, <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, no, I don't know what to do. So you just start running. But the nice thing about this is, like you said earlier, the levels are are small, they're contained. And because you have infinite lives, you can kind of continue and quickly learn what you're supposed to do. So the frustration isn't huge in that regard. The frustrating thing is the narwhal. The narwhal? Which one is that? He, he's he's a narwhal, Kevin. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't even know what a narwhal is. It's like a unicorn of the sea. Oh, the thing with the little screw nose. Okay. If that helps you. <laughs> yes, the narwhal was a pain in my ass also. Because it's not, like, he's one where you can actually sit there, and if you don't move and just sit there, he'll jump over you. Yeah. And keep going, and then he'll come back and jump over you again. You're like, oh, I got this figured out. And then the second you move, he kills you. I yep. hate that stupid narwhal. But he can be defeated with a stick. So there's that. Yeah, you have to get Alfonso to get the stick to kill the stupid narwhal. And then you have to be really precise with how you kill it. Otherwise, it will kill you every time. You just can't be pleased, can you? I do not like the narwhal. My most memorable <laughs> moments of this game are that stupid... Stupid narwhal, which, in a design perspective, I should be applauding him, but instead I'm cursing Thomas uh, because I hate that stupid narwhal. Well, my memorable moments um, were the different things that he sort of spelled out and pictures he designed with these level layouts. One of the levels. You didn't notice this? Oh, blow my mind, sir. (laughs) Well, I'll just give you like a single nugget here. Um, One of the levels, he actually designed it to look like an NES controller. So get uh, out of here. There is a D pad and an A button and a B button. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, it's he designed them so big that it's not all on screen at once. So you have to sort of really pay attention as you move around. That um, stupid narwhal. That's why I didn't see any of this. Yep. Oh, more, more man. More like narwhalt. Oh, sorry. Uh, you tried. But yeah, it was no. a stretch. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't need that here. Uh, wow, really? Yeah, really cool stuff. He, uh, he put uh, some personality into these designs. Man, I was just like way too intent with beating the levels to even realize there was something greater at work here you really didn't notice running around like some of them were like just straight up like letters that spelled things no i'm pretty much gonna go back tonight after we're done with this and see exactly (laughs) what he did Uh, that's funny well well, for all legacy of the wizard oh go ahead no, I was just gonna say, all you listeners, you know, go back and check yourselves too. It's there's yeah, some cool stuff and, and while you're looking, the narwhal will jump out of the water and kill you. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I didn't realize that with Legacy of the Wizard either. Like, if you look at the actual map, it draws faces and like weird stuff. But I try not to look at the map because I don't want to ruin the surprises that I haven't got to yet. But this game, like, I missed it completely. Very, very interesting. I should maybe try something like that someday. Well, let's talk about. The most important question. Oh boy, who is your favorite homebrew? No, I'm just kidding. What is the fun? (laughs) What What would you say the fun factor is uh, of this game? Do you think it's fun? Other than Mr. Narwhal, which Mr. Narwhal for me harkens back to 
I think Elf, uh, when he talks to Mr. Narwhal, and he's just so friendly. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah, what he's... Yep, I remember that. And in this game, he just kills you. So He is not other friendly. Other than that, no, he is not. <laughs> other than that, I find it I find it very fun. There's, there's a couple puzzles that took me way, in my opinion, way too long, but that's also kind of what makes a puzzle platformer is that, that difficulty. It's like criticizing an RPG for too much text. Yeah, Can't... I mean, you don't want all the puzzles to be easy. No, but you do need all the text I'm going to throw at you. Absolutely. I want to read your story, Bo. I've linked you to it numerous times and you never read it. No, no, no. I want to read your story in the game while I'm playing it. Oh. It's like you not wanting to see the map. I don't want to read the story prior to living the story. Oh, wow. See, you put me in this so I can't say no. Well played. <laughs> um, what I love most about puzzle games Please is tell that me. they are infinitely replayable every few years you'll forget everything from all the levels and you'll go turn it on after a couple years and it'll all be fresh so i think that it has that going for it as far as replayability goes well that's kind of due to your faulty memory oh is that what it is (laughs) a little bit yeah okay i'm never gonna forget certain puzzles but puzzle platformers Yes, because you got to still run and jump, and I'm not so good at that. (laughs) Well, clearly you didn't even see the levels in front of you, so you won't remember Jack Squat except for the narwhal. Yeah, apparently that's all I'm going to be looking for next time is the (laughs) D-pad. I feel like that sounds wrong. Well, when when you find it, I will then dub you the D-pad hero. Oh, I thought you were going to make a G-Spot reference. Nah, I already did that in the incident. That's um, a myth. So, <laughs> uh, what kind of uh, formats was this released in? What, Like, how many editions were there? Well, Thomas's big, not big claim to fame, but one of his many claims to fame is that he announced this game on Kickstarter back in 2017. And, yeah, everybody's like, oh, you know, another Kickstarter. This was at the same time as, you know, Twin Dragons. Yeah, this was the great Kickstarter avalanche of 2017. Yes. These all did much better than mine. That was like a month before them. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, it was part of that that kind of group of things that all sort of the perfect storm, as we'll call it. And Thomas was there and he's like, hey, here's my game. I've been working on this for a while. I feel pretty good about it. And everybody's like, yeah, OK, sure, buddy. We kind of pat him on the back and go on. He's got this demo that's with the Kickstarter. And like, okay, you know, the demo feels good. I'll throw some money at this. Sure. And then, you know, like the Kickstarter ends with 264 backers. And he's got the game in people's hands in like three months. Start to finish. And every Kickstarter since then has been like, well, it's not as fast as Eskimo Bob. What are you going to (laughs) do? And so it's very demoralizing for those of us that uh, have also done Kickstarters. And there's good reason to just hate Thomas as a person. But, I mean, he really did it the right way. Not the right way. There's many ways in this path we call life. But uh, in terms of, like, throwing down some money and getting something the next day, yeah, he he did it quite right. It certainly wasn't the wrong way. No, no. and Because the game didn't suffer in any way. Like, it was just... 
done. I, he seems to, based on his two compo entries last year and another Kickstarter and another delivery, like he He's works. cranking them out. Yes, that's what I wanted to say. I was going to say it more eloquently than you just did, but yeah, he's cranking it out, Trucker Kevin. So you, I mean, you were one of those super backers on this, weren't you? Like you, you, you threw down for one of the special editions. How do you know? Are you stalking me again? I do stalk you, but it's actually in the, in the last page of the manual here. It says special edition Kickstarter backers. And uh, let's see. Ferris is in there. Justin's in there. And oh, look there. EBD Holland. Uh, who's that fool? That is a you. I, I still think that's kind of a weird tier to offer people, but I'll take it. I'm, I'm in quite a few games and books, I guess. Uh, whatever. <laughs> oh, Fleck. I see Fleck in there, too. I didn't want to forget oh, him. Yeah, he was on this year's Christmas episode we didn't do. Love that guy. Yeah. Uh, sorry for everyone <laughs> that wanted to listen to that. I, too, was buying a house, a different house than Bo. Um, so, yeah, I had some things going on when we wanted to get that done. So it didn't quite pan out. So yes, um, Eskimo Bob's big claim to fame, other than being a very solid puzzle platformer, is that it is the fastest returned Kickstarter for NES homebrews, which is, uh, you love it or you hate it, depending on what side of the table you're on. Challenge accepted. Uh, trust me, never give a due date, uh, <laughs> release date. But he also did a PC build back then in 2017, which was, you know, all of two years ago, maybe a year and a half if you count different. Uh, there was a PC build that was separate. It wasn't a ROM release. It was like for the PC. And those have kind of gone away. So he offered that for a while, but now you can buy it as a ROM release for like three bucks. Uh, cool. Yeah, which is always nice. Some people like to play it on different devices like a hacked PSP or Wii or your... Wee. game value now or whatever they're called is that a thing um, no there were all those korean emulated uh. devices yeah i always wanted one because they looked awesome but anyways uh you can also uh buy the full cib he did during the kickstarter there was a special white cartridge arctic because you know eskimo oh uh, i get it no i'm glad you do um <laughs> there was that or there was a gray cart uh, the gray cart has continued to be offered. He does them in kind of like runs, does sort of a pre-order, enough people sign up, and then he, you know, buys the boxes, manuals, labels, you know, invests the money, and then sells through the stock and does it again. It's a, you know, it's a patient way. You sometimes have to wait. I think the next release is coming quarter two or quarter one, uh, 2019, which it says is... says April. April. Is that quarter two? Yeah, I'd say that's quarter two. Yeah, I guess on the twelve month system, yeah, they'd be quarter two. Hey, it's not sixty five oh two. I it's not hexadecimal. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, that is Eskimo Bob. Uh, yes. if, if you're curious, go check it out. I mean, for a ROM release at three bucks, there's really no reason not to go check it out. Uh, yep. Load it onto your power pack, fire it up, and have a blast. You could find it at spooniebard.ca, one of those Canadian uh, websites, eh? <sighs> You did it again. So, did we want to talk a little bit about MAGFest? Because we did go to MAGFest. Why would we bother to talk about MAGFest? Well, let me tell you. I will give you the one and only reason that we need to talk about MAGFest. Is Is this the same reason reason. why we all need to come to Florida because you're there? No. No. God, no. Don't ever come visit me. 
I don't go outside. I don't want to see people. Um, panthers and sinkholes. Watch out. You keep saying that. I've yet to see either of those things. You don't see them till it's too late. That's true. If I do see them, it would be too late. You're eating your flesh <laughs> or you've fallen into their pits and you're di- you're dying. What happens if I fell into a sinkhole and then a panther jumped on me and devoured me inside the sinkhole? I mean, that would be the worst way to die, I think. All right, let's move on. So we went to MAGFest, and MAGFest was, MAGFest freaking 2019 was the largest collective grouping of NES developers in the same room in the history of ever since there were actual, like, programmers back in the normal days. Right? Right? I have not fully confirmed that, but I have a feeling that you're right. Man, like not, looking not at to the, take the wind out of your sails here, but That's okay, man. I mean, I was I was flying pretty hard. Um there's a picture on Twitter. I know that it's on my profile at a ton of glaciers. Um scroll down a little bit. You can see a picture of all the developers that met up there. Could you link podcast listeners to this by chance? Oh, we have that technology. I could totally do that. <laughs> yes. Check the show notes of this episode of the Assume. No. Yeah, check the show notes. I'll put a link up there. But uh, Rachel actually asked us all to like get together. And I'm really glad that she had this idea because God knows it wouldn't have crossed my mind. But all of us got together in the computer museum in the beautiful glow of CRT monitors, which was probably too small of a room for a gathering this large. It was a uh, large gathering. Yeah, like I did not, I, I couldn't fully grasp how many people were there that do this stuff until they were all in that room. And then I was like, dear God, this is amazing. Well, it wasn't just the normal, you know, people were used to sort of seeing. There was the New York folk who, uh, you know, Dustin from Dust Mop Studios. Oh, you're going to try to name all these people? No, I'm not going to name them all, but I'm going to okay. name many of them. Yes. Go ahead. Um, you know, there, there's some of us that travel around to well, try to travel to most of the shows, unless you're Kevin and kind of suck and don't go to Portland last year. Yep. Uh, we go to Portland. We go to MGC, which also Kevin doesn't go to. I'm noticing a theme here. Um, yep. But this time, you know, the New York guys, the Dustin, he did Star Versus, Andrew or Andy, who did uh, Super Russian Roulette, Rachel, who has done various things like Electronic Sweet and Fun. What was the Faxi. name of that one? Yeah, that faxy. That's the one I was <laughs> trying to think of. So those folks were there. There were a couple of chip tuners hanging out. Like we took the picture and I'm looking through the background and going, I recognize the really tall dude with the gray man bun. That's puke. And puke, puke. was. You don't know who puke is. Puke. You just right. like saying it. It's Andy's um, friend, right? Well, no, he was an he's an old chip tuner guy. He he ran like the uh no, no, he was he organized like the winter chip stuff. Uh, Puke. Which, yeah, you're just gonna keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, I know he organized the winter chip uh, competitions, which uh, many home brewers have contributed over the years, and then they went on to do you know games. But these chip tune things, like before people were making games, they were just doing music, which is super interesting. You'll find like Memblers on the old forums, or Rain Warrior, Brad Smith, or. Uh, Julius, uh, Super Bat Puncher, Micromages, you like they were all active on these weird forums that none of us know about because they've gone down and they weren't archived. But uh, yeah, people like Puke or No Carrier who did Kevin. Uh, Vega Vox. I'm so glad that just rolled off the tip of your tongue. Were you? Tr- 
<laughs> I know I didn't say it very eloquently, but I mean, you caught me off guard there with that question. I'm just happy I remembered. Yeah, no, he helped with a, a lot of the music, uh, chiptune albums, things like that. Like I'm standing next to this guy and again, had to analyze it after and go, who's that dude? Because <laughs> there was like 20 of us. It was it was very epic. Um, yes. Very good time. Very interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Which, if you look through the history of uh, conventions and things like that, pretty much the only other picture of brewers, like collectively, other than maybe some like dinner photos, is the one from MGC in 2011, where you have five five guys. You got Memblers, Teples, uh, Jerome, and two other guys who I can't remember. They're all just standing there, and like there's five of them, and that was the most that had ever been <laughs> gathered in one room. At that time, we showed them. Well, we would have liked them to have been there. Oh, absolutely. And what was very heartwarming to see is like everyone that was there, they were all so nice and everyone like knew, like even if you didn't like have, haven't met these people in the past in person, like people knew who the other people were and they were very quick to introduce themselves. And it was just a really, really good time. So Rachel, thank you for making that happen. I really want to get a copy of that picture to print it out so I can uh, put it on my wall and see all my nerd friends uh, as I get older. I've heard that that's going to be the cover of the 2020, that's weird to say, calendar. Well, uh, anyone who would have said that would have had perfect vision. Did you get? Did you catch my 2020 reference? Perfect Vision 2020. Oh, nice. Thank you. No, I did not catch that. The best jokes are the ones you have to stop and explain. (laughs) (laughs) That means you know you're sly. That's right. And speaking of that, like it was nice to see uh, other people who, even though they're not brewers, they've, they've shown up to several shows. They, you know, it's just easy to sit and talk to, you know, people like Sean or I got to meet John who did uh, the, you know, the Peak Bruce fellow who's done the ness cape art oh that yeah. guy yeah k han he's a pretty yeah. okay kind of guy yeah i mean that was just it was it was very nice to meet some new people who um are getting involved either from kind of the gaming side the contributing side or whatever we need to have yeah. a serious talk though you and i i'm stealing your artist i'm no, so sorry you knew I'm exactly what i was bringing up you're not poaching my guy i am too it's my guy man we are doing Xmas 2019. You've heard it here. Brian can hear it here because I haven't really told him. <laughs> but yes, John and I are working on Xmas 2019 in his infinite free time. So what else has been going on, Kevin? Uh, there's been some stuff going on in the community. You want to talk about that? No, we're done. I just talked about how much I love other people. And okay. let's just shut this down and go home. All right. We got a song to play. Hit it. No. God, No. Bo, we got to talk about the community. Have you played this roguelike tower game on Nestev? Called Tower? Yes. Not a very creative name, but a super creative game. Let's assume it's a working title. Not only is it called Tower, it's called Tower with an exclamation point. Oh, no, I just put that in our notes because, oh. I'm, because I'm excited. Good, because I was a little pissed off that someone else was going to have an NES game with an exclamation point at the end. Oh, no, that's already been done. You're not original again. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm pissed. Who did it? You're just making it up. No, they're out there. But has there been a game that used the word NES and then used the S as a phonetic f- 
beginning of a future word. Any escape. I'm pretty sure quite a few games have done that. God damn it. Uh, All right, games canceled. You were never original. I'm retiring. You never claim to be original. Indeed, you go to extreme opposites in that regard. (laughs) But yes, tower. What is tower? Exclamation point. Tower! It's this roguelike. It's completely, what's the word? Uh, Randomly generated? Yes, those are two words, but that's what it is. Yeah, you're moving around. There's like floors of a dungeon, enemies, like items, super cool stuff. That sounds like every other game, Kevin. But this is procedurally generated, Bo. It is. But it's also top-down perspective, lots of strategy. You don't want to kill everything that you see. You want to avoid some things. You want to selectively kill certain things. It uses sort of some open graphics that another fellow had done. Uh, He just kind of, he drew them and put them out there. And somebody has finally put them into a game, which is awesome. Not that I had them on my hard drive sitting there waiting to someday be used, even though <laughs> quite likely that day would never come. But the the interesting thing to me about Tower is <laughs> that yeah, he's going to have to put the exclamation point in now because I've said it so many times. Definitely. it It's almost like uh, some of the Japanese PC games, like PC-88, PC-98 games, where you've got kind of a window that you're viewing the playing field on and the game scrolls and moves just within that. Everything else vertically and horizontally around that window is static, which as I don't want to say we, but many of us know is not something that the NES could really do like vertical split screens. We're used to seeing horizontal split screens with, you know, status bars and Zelda and whatnot. But you never really see a vertical split screen except in, I want to say, Laser Invasion, maybe? Because it couldn't be done until the MMC5. But what uh, Never Obsolete, the fellow who's making this game, who he also did in the past or started to do uh, Knill, which is probably pronounced Nil. It's Link backwards. Uh, It was sort of an adventure, top-down adventure game. What he's done with this is kind of recreate that old PC feel of moving about uh, within this windowed world, which is very commendable. I I didn't even think it could be done. Let alone completely randomized dungeons. Like, that's so freaking cool. Yeah, I mean, a lot. That's that's been a long debate on Nestev whether that could even be ran, truly randomly generated dungeons could just even be done. And yeah, this dude's doing it. So I'm 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 a little disappointed because he's not finishing nil. But uh, <laughs> I'm even more excited for this just to see him back. This is somebody that I, I really didn't want to see go away. I harassed him. I don't want to say harassed. I messaged him incessantly <laughs> uh, for several years about nil because it was just, it was so inspiring to me as like a young brewer who could achieve endless dreams, which he realizes he can't do now. But back then, you know, bright eyed, starry boy, uh, Billy Mumphrey, dare I say. <laughs> and, you know, to see somebody else <laughs> do it. Good pull. Thank you. Uh, But to see somebody else doing like that quality of work, I even like helped him out with some puzzles or I conceptually helped him out with some puzzles. I don't want to take too much credit. Uh, It's just it's great to see him back. It's great to see him doing an even more impressive game and just pushing the limits of uh, 
that system we all know and love is the NES. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I don't know anything about Canil. I didn't ever see it, but just looking at what he's done with this game, which we haven't even mentioned, is, is still being worked on. It's not complete by any means. Oh, it's very much in development. Um, yeah. But yeah, it really seems like he is pushing the limits of what the system can do. So I really hope that he's able to uh, package it up and, and finish it so I can, you know, I mean, I'm going to play this demo no matter what, but I really hope that he uh, finishes it. You might say that he uh, views the NES as being never obsolete. Ooh. Yeah. You are the king of puns, my friend. It's It's been the day for it. If, if you're curious, please check out my Twitter posts about Weezer and Kevin <laughs> and his misplaced tattoo. I mean, it's it's not misplaced. It's it's in the place I don't want to know. To be ta- I don't want to know. All right. We're just going to move on. Yes, um, please. Is the Nestev competition for 2018 is that is that done? Oh, it's been canceled. Oh, that's too bad. You're a no, liar. No, it hasn't been canceled. <laughs> I tease, I tease. So yeah, the 2018, even though it's 2019 now, competition is well underway. There's still a few days left in the month of January. By the time you hear this, perhaps not. You never know. Uh, Kevin's a little better at getting these out than I am. But yeah, there's there's a number of games already that have been submitted. Anything from Nathan Talbert's, Talbert's, uh, Super Homebrew War, which features many lovable homebrew characters battling it out in a Smash Brothers style. To... Speaking of featuring, you can find it in the January section of the 2019 homebrew calendar. Proceed. Can you really? Yeah. You're, you're second guessing if that's in January, aren't you? No, it's certainly is uh yeah because i don't have walls i can't put up my calendar <laughs> okay i'll take your word for it uh there's also i hate how they name their things s pistini all right i don't speak spanish um even though i took a year and a half of it but it's a pistini i don't even know no, what there's that means. an s in there s but s espiteni Okay, one of those two things. You know, if Nathan would come on and correct us, uh, that'd be wonderful. But, you know, English is not his first language, so he's not going to. He'll just keep messaging us, and I'll keep butchering the names of his games. Uh, but, yeah, he's the, the the Mojan twins, the folks who have brought you way more games than anybody else. I mean, they make Kevin look like he's done zero games ever. Which isn't yeah. far off. Uh, they do like th- they they have a th- a thirty in one uh, multi cart like oh that's hashtag goals right there yeah that kind of is huh. <laughs> okay where to set the bar Nathan different Nathan than Tolbear yeah hundred percent of the games you've named so far have been made by Nathan yeah okay we'll bring in somebody else uh, there's another game called Split Second by a na- guy named. Uh, ska diet which i think that means he only listens to no doubt early no doubt um, <laughs> early no doubt ain't no good man you gotta hey, get that's all you gotta get to the diet second of ska. album yeah Aww. i mean yeah all right yeah it's a diet of ska <laughs> um but he has recreated this weird 
handheld game from his childhood on the NES, which kudos, sir, because I've been wanting to do that with a game that I will not say right now because I don't want anybody else to do before I can. What's really cool is not only did he like remake the game, but he actually like visually inserted the actual handheld device onto the screen. So it's not like you're just seeing the play field. You're seeing the machine. But yeah, you like see the device, which is very tactile and cool. Yeah. Uh, Looks good, too. Well, it's his first project, too. That's pretty awesome. Maybe. What if we show off? If we cover the Nest Dev competition, which Kevin may strangle me if we do. I'm already strangling uh, you just thinking about it. Yeah, we will talk to uh, No Doubt himself. (laughs) There's also a game called Tesla versus Edison that has been entered by Samoflange. Oh, yeah, Samoflange. Yeah, I feel like he's a plumber or something. He's got flanges and various other things that have to be soldered together. The graphics on that game look freaking cool, man. Yeah, they're very interesting. Some cool lighting effects. Good stuff. Yeah, it's another first-timer who's, you know, been messing around with stuff. He's He's got kind of a background in things, but this will be the first completed game, which that's... I mean, I like the competition. I love Doug F's attitude of like, I'm just going to do something, enter it, and that's it. It's done. But I, I love seeing these newcomers kind of come in and this is where they get their feet wet. This is what they do. And they take that brave step that I never took myself. But it's 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 very nice to see. And I just assume that they're going to go on to do bigger and better things. But if not, they have still lived the dream of creating an NES game. And have cemented themselves in history as participating in the NES homebrew competition. Yeah, and at this date, the Nestev competition only has four or five, maybe six entries, depending on how you count. Mm-hmm. Which is way less than previous years. But there are always entries that roll around and are submitted. And if you check your timestamp from the time we've recorded this to the time this actually goes to air, you'll probably see like six more. So, <laughs> um, you know, whatever. I know I know, one is being entered that I'm not actually allowed to talk about, and I am very excited, and you'll probably see me talk about it in the future because I'm that excited. So, okay. yes. Okay, I'm curious. Sorry, Kevin. That's you, okay. You, you weren't CC'd on that one. <laughs> Even if I was, I probably wouldn't have seen it. Oh, what a shame. Or I wouldn't have CC'd it. All right, there it is. Um, so is Boy. MGC coming up? Are you going this year? MGC, the Midwest Gaming Classic, which some people have taken issue with, feeling it should be called the Midwest Classic Gaming. It's like a golf tournament. Gaming Classic. Uh, it's very <laughs> very easy to understand. You know, we're going to the Open. Yeah, MGC is a blast. It's a bit different. Last year was a bit different than previous years where, you know, it's a wild party in a hotel room. Eh, you know, things only have gone out of control a couple times. Um, <laughs> what made it different? Did they change locations? But yeah, they changed venues and it's a little more, I don't want to say corporate. I don't want to say stale. It's, it's different. Uh, MGC is still... A blast. It's the Midwesterners. We gather together. Just good, wholesome people. Frank. Frank's there. Uh, Frank. I always, forget to, always forget to mention Frank, but um, he's good. Now people. he's at the top of my list, and I can't remember who else comes. Uh, Kev. Does Kevbot go? 
Well, he better be, because he's my ride. All right. He'll be there. Uh, Tim from Orab Games is usually there. The Retrotainment guys are there. Memblers, he makes it out to this show if you ever want to meet the mysterious Dr. Memblers. Living legend. Uh, yeah, you can meet him there. Teppel's made it out in that 2011 picture we talked about. There's always some, some new stuff that's revealed at MGC. Uh, not for sure saying that i will be in that group but if you ask me very nicely when nobody else is looking i might show you something what? aren't there laws against that i know we're just not allowed to sell things without collecting tax so if you just show them things oh you meant sexual things oh yeah i mean obviously i usually do kevin this is why we keep you in florida <laughs> with the panthers and the sinkholders sinkholders well, sink one of them is gonna get you one of these days and we <laughs> won't have to worry about these tricky legal things anymore right 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 but yeah mgc is always kind of a blast that's coming up uh, if you're at all in the area please come out check it out and make sure that you find the nintendo age room we get a whole room there come talk to what like four five six seven brewers uh we'll talk most of us are very friendly that one dude he's not but uh the rest of us are <laughs> very kind yeah that that dude i'm sure he actually has a name yeah you know it's it's a good time like just to come check out projects and see what's happening one day i would like to go one day your flights will not be canceled the whole way there and you'll actually show up on time yeah the one time i actually tried to come mother nature Still... had other ideas which there's no snow in Florida, so that's weird. But uh, that was still the saddest experience I've ever had at White Castle. <laughs> Just sitting there getting these texts of, I won't be making it. I'm like, well, I'm halfway here. I guess I'll keep going. That was awful, man. So oh, yeah. awful. <laughs> it didn't ruin my appetite. but Well, yeah, when you're at White right. Castle, I don't think anything can ruin your appetite, my friend. No, very few things. I'll have second dinner at White Castle. Thank you much. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the calendars that I made. You made calendars and nobody bought them for the third or fourth year? No, no, no. They, I mean, they sold. They sold. But I do have uh, oh boy. two or three extras laying around. So if, uh, if you want a calendar to write down cool stuff throughout 2019, uh, hit me up in whatever means possible. Including release dates for games that come out in 2019 so that you can send them back to Kevin at the end of the year so he actually has them correct. Yeah, and uh, even if you send me a release date of your game, there's a good chance I might forget. So make sure that I put the dang release date in the calendar because uh, you might wake up one day and realize that you left uh, your very good friend's game out and you will feel like a fool. Well, if nothing else, we have something to hang on a wall for 12 months. That's right. Fool. <laughs> um, in other news, the incident, my amazing... It's not amazing. Well, I mean, it's pretty good. My, well, people my, like it. You can my, say it's amazing. Yeah, but I can't say it's amazing. Other people can say it's amazing. Well, I just do you want me to start this segment? Yes. The amazing incident has been sold out forever. Bo, I appreciate you saying it's amazing. I just don't hear that often enough. No. I think you do. <laughs> yeah, so basically I sold out of that color cartridge. I used that beautiful charcoal brown color for the cartridge for the incident, and I've just sold it wasn't out. supposed to be brown. Well, it worked damn well for what I used it for, so I appreciate uh, the wrong color coming out. But I just don't want to go through the hassle of ordering 
another 300 cartridges of that color. So I am done selling that game. If you got a copy, congratulations. Hold on to it for, with dear life because uh, no more will be made in, uh, in that fashion. I am in talks uh, with some other peeps uh, to potentially sort of allow the game to live on in some way. So don't know if that's happening for sure, but uh, if you did not pick up a copy, um, you might not be out of luck. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. I hear that there is a puzzle game maker that has been released. Tell me oh, about this. The thing that Chris made? Chris CPPP, Chris? Yes, Chris who was in that amazing group of NES developers at MAGFest. Sporting the very long blonde ponytail. Yes, and there are multiple people with long blonde ponytails, so don't just go around calling them all Chris, (laughs) because at least part of the time you will be wrong and again look like a fool. So this guy, Chris, I don't want to say this guy, Chris. Chris, I know Chris. Chris made this awesome web-based puzzle creation tool so you go to this website it's all built into the website so you can mess around with it make some cool puzzle games and then you can actually export a rom uh, from the website if you want to make a cartridge or put it on you know your flash cartridge whatever but it's all built in like i haven't seen anything quite like this it's all web-based which is really cool so you when you're at work you don't have to download some, you know, program on your work computer to where your bosses will <laughs> find when you're messing around, you know, when you're on the clock. You can just quickly close that little tab in your web browser and hey, no one will be the wiser. So I think you guys should check this out. It's pretty dang cool. Yeah. And Chris did some online stuff with the NES last year. Maybe it was two years ago. Uh, he's been very active in kind of the hardware, software stuff. So mm-hmm. it, I'm not real surprised to see that he was the one that came up with this web browser export to ROM thing, uh, but very neat to see. Very neat guy to meet. Yes. And that can be found at the amazing URL, puzzle.nes.science. That, that's heady to even think about. Well, it's, you won't forget it. No, I definitely will. But I'll look it up because <laughs> I can, and I'm sure you've linked it in the episode notes. Oh, absolutely. It's what I do. Uh, another game that we have seen kind of come full circle is Wolfling, which we talked about last year in the Nestev competition episodes, because we had two of them then. Uh, that has been finished, like kind of the final version of the initial version that was in the no. competition. So the competition version has now kind of been perfected and finished. Uh, I think it's even been ported to the Commodore 64. What? If I've been reading Twitter right, but again, I've never fired up my Commodore 64. It's just a shelf trophy for another couple weeks, and then it will be used. But yeah, that's that's kind of finally finished. Uh, It had some great animations. It had that wolf changing mechanic where you were the person, then you were the wolf, then you were the person, then you were the wolf. Yeah. (laughs) And then you die. Yeah, and then then you die. But I think a lot of that has been cleaned up. It seems to be a much more solid release, and I'm looking forward to checking that out. No plans yet on a cart release, if that's your thing, but the ROM can freely be downloaded and load onto a flash card and do what you will. Oh, and I don't know if you saw this, um, but Nebs and Debs, which uh, was one of the great Kickstarter success stories, um, that is actually about to be shipping so, uh, still not as fast as Eskimo Bob. Old well. news. 
Well, I'm pretty freaking excited because, uh, man, looking at the development as he made that game, uh, it just looks so cool and fun. So I'm excited I to am give it a try. Very, very excited. Again, this is another one of those Enrom fascination sadist people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chris did just such a great job with with the mechanics. Uh, he, you know, he initially did the art, then had Anders come on and do the rest of the art. It's got music. Uh, is it's a full release. It's, it's done very well. And I'm looking forward to covering that probably as, you know, an episode in the future. Um, absolutely. He, just, he does amazing work. So when that comes out, you should definitely dash to get a copy. Oh, you've been, you've been waiting for like two hours to say that, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. And, if, you know, Dash is a pretty big, big mechanic in the game, so I'll just spell it out for some people. My jokes are funny. Um, so uh, <laughs> Because yep. you tell them, yes. Yes. So we appreciate everyone tuning in tonight. Uh, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, it might be during the day. You can, of course, find uh, Bo and I both on Twitter. I can be found at a ton of glaciers. Bo can be found at Soul Goose. You can write us emails at nesassemblyline at gmail.com. Tell us what you love. Tell us what you hate. Ask us out on dates. That'd be weird. But, you know, if that's what it takes to get you to email us, that's cool. I don't think my wife will like that. She don't got to know, Bo. Oh, is that how that works? Um, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to check us out on that, it's patreon.com slash line. All money raised on there helps uh, go toward cost associated with hosting and putting out this show. We definitely want to do this for many years to come because there are so many damn games to talk about. And we love almost all of them. So we're going to close the episode with some music by Mini Macro Sound. This was a random person who kind of emailed me after MAGFest and was like, hey, I checked out your booth and I do sound. And I was like, you do? Like, that's awesome. <laughs> Say hello. But he actually does, some, or she, I'm not quite certain, uh, does some great music. Uh, there's some covers, stuff like that on their YouTube page that you can find in the notes and uh this uh, song nuclear winter just won some sort of contest and it's it, i find it to be quite good uh, but if you're a brewer and needing music definitely this is somebody to look into uh, for future work cool well let's check it out nuclear winter very very hopeful this one <laughs> <laughs>